Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. Our title for this morning is a question. Are you glorified? That's the question we want to explore. And uh, in this question, we're going to ask for an answer, but not quite yet. But generally, when, uh, when asking this question, we start thinking of something in the future. So we want to look at uh, this question, which is a very practical one. And we'll look at it from a few different perspectives and, and see what we can learn. But there is a common saying that goes something like this. You don't know what you have till? Till it's gone, right? And uh, that's very true. That's, uh, you might have actually experienced something along these lines. Uh, it's, it's a true saying. Uh, but I think there's also a saying that should go like this. You don't know what you have till you experience it. And this one is a biblical one. And we're going to see what I mean by that particular thing. Because think about it. You might lose something and not, not miss it, not think much of it, because you didn't really have any contact or connection or it wasn't precious to you. It was just gone. And so how much you miss it, how much you, uh, you feel like, you know, you miss its presence, depends on what kind of experience you had. That's why I'm saying you don't know what you have until you actually experience it. I want to show you the Bible example where this idea comes from. And uh, this is in the story where Jesus sent the 70 to preach. And this is what we're told in Luke 10 and verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. You remember that story? You can kind of sense the excitement and wonder in the expression of the disciples. It was a big wow for them. They came back and they were really excited. And the highlight of this whole experience was they went down there and they got to experience something, the power in Jesus' name, right? And they came back and they told Jesus, Lord, we found that even the devils were subject to us in your name. Wow! They did not know what they had until they actually experienced it. These 70 were following Jesus. They were listening to the teachings of Jesus. They were familiar with all these truths. But something happened on that journey. An experience was gained by them that gave them some wow factor. And they were very excited about it. And this is why I'm saying what I'm saying. But even so, there was even more that they still had not realized. Because in the answer of Jesus, we find that he tells them as much in the uh, next few verses, verse 20, he tells them, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What was Jesus' answer? You think you have something you want to excited about? Look, you, got, you don't know what, what you've got. You think the Spirit's being subject to you? Don't, don't rejoice about that. Let me tell you something you should rejoice about, that your names are written in heaven. Even that they did not fully realize. And Jesus was actually bringing their attention to that. So this is the question that I want to draw from this experience, from this story for you and for me. Do we really realize what we have? I put it to you. That like the disciples and like the 70 who were sent out to preach in the name of Jesus, many of us need an experience to truly realize 
what we have. But before we go into that, I want to actually look at and try and understand together from the Bible, what do we actually have? We need to first see what do we have so that we can actually look for or seek that experience. And so we need to understand what we have. And this brings us to our question. And the question that we have today, the title of our study actually comes from a verse, a puzzling verse for many people uh, because of the way it's worded. Let's look at it together in Romans 8 and verse 30. And you might be familiar with this verse, but let's see what is the puzzling component in it. Paul says, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Very good verse. I want to ask a few questions in light of this verse. Are you called? How many people are called here today? If you were to put your hand up, let's get some interaction here. Make sure everybody's awake. Okay, called, praise the Lord. All right, good. The next question will be, well, are you justified? Have you been justified by faith? Amen. Very good. So the next question, you know, I'm going to ask you, right? What's the next one there? Glorified. glorified. Are you glorified? Okay, not as many hands go up straight away. I, yeah, so, some do, but generally that's, that's where people pause and wait. We'll say, oh, well, no, well, one day, right? God willing, by God's grace. But notice the way Paul expresses this in this verse, the tense that he uses. He uses it not, something, not as something future, right? He uses it as part of the package of those who are predestined, those who are called, those who are justified, are also glorified. So this is the question, what's Paul talking about? Because many people, you're not the only ones, will think, well, that's maybe down the line, maybe in the future. Have we missed something here that is preventing us from experiencing that which is associated with it? That's the question, that's what we want to explore together. So what does it mean? Is it possible that we have been given something that we don't fully realize or understand? And as a result of that, we are missing out on the experience that's associated with it. And uh, the answer is yes. That's what we want to understand and explore together. So what is glory? What does it mean to be glorified? A very, uh, you know, relevant question in light of what we're talking about here. Uh, when we think of glory, we usually think of something that is uh, physical and visible and external, particularly some shining light. Right? You might be thinking of a story in the Bible, and we're going to look at that. And there is nothing wrong with that. That's definitely one component of glory. And we see that from the scriptures. For example, here is 2 Peter 1, 17 and 18. And Peter is recounting the experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, For he received from God, speaking of Christ, received from God the, the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Remember the story? And that story, we're going to look at the, at the verse now in a minute of what happened there. But Jesus says, that uh, I'm sorry, Peter says that Jesus received what? Honor and glory. and glory, right? And that glory came to him from the excellent glory. It was God the Father, of course. He received honor and glory. And uh, what did the Father say at that event, you remember? He said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. 
Now, if we turn to the account in the Gospels uh, that describes what happened there, we see a very clear picture of why we have the idea that glory is some kind of a physical, visible, lit up manifestation, you know, being glorified. And here it is in Luke 9, uh, verses 29 and onward, we're told, And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. Very clearly here, Jesus was transfigured. He was glorified. He was shining. And Peter and the others who were asleep, they woke up and they saw his glory, it says. And this is what he was recounting in his letter, that they were there, they saw that, they heard that, they saw the glory of God. It was visible. Now, does this event on the mountain, especially with what God the Father said, does that remind you of another similar event? The baptism is, is what I'm thinking of. There's a number of events, okay, the, the one I'm thinking of where God the Father said something similar was at the baptism where Jesus actually uh, was baptized, he came out of the water, and the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Exactly the same words. And what happened at the baptism was actually very similar to what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because at the baptism, what did Christ receive? The Spirit. On the Mount of Transfiguration, what did Christ receive? Glory. Those two are linked. At the baptism, Jesus received the Spirit. The Father said, this is my beloved Son. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus received glory, and the Father said the same thing. So those two things are linked. The reception of the Spirit with the reception of glory. Spirit and glory are very closely associated, and we're going to see that as we go along. But you're seeing that already. Let's look at a few other examples, just to make sure that we're not being led up the garden path here by the speaker, right? Uh, that was the visible glory. But there is another component to glory that's not necessarily uh, light and shining. And the example of that I want to look at is here in John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is a story of Lazarus who died and Jesus went to raise him. And in verse 40, Jesus saith unto her, that is Martha, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. What was Jesus referring to here? What would she see when she would see the glory of God? The resurrection of Lazarus, right? So seeing or witnessing the resurrection of Lazarus, according to Jesus, is seeing the glory of who? Of God, right? You're all with me? I'm, I'm not asking too hard questions, right? You're all on the same page? Okay. So when she saw her brother raised from the dead, that was seeing the glory of God. Now here's an interesting question. I like to ask a lot of questions if you haven't figured that out yet. What did Lazarus receive? Life. What's another word for life? Spirit. And when he received life, when he was restored to life, he received the spirit of life from God. Jesus said that, that witnessing that was seeing what? God's glory. Hmm, interesting now, right? Now, I'm sure Lazarus wasn't shining with light with the people who had to shield their eyes, but he was alive by the Spirit of God. 
So there is a component and an aspect to glory that is not necessarily visible as far as light is concerned. And we don't think of glory that way. I realize that, this is, which is why when we ask that question based on Romans, we start straight away thinking of something in the future. We don't generally think of anything now in the present. And this is why I want to explore what we're exploring today. Let's look at another uh, aspect from this verse in John chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus praying when the Greeks came wanting to see him. And uh, this is just a few days before Passover. And in his prayer, this is what he says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. This is the, the third uh, instance where we see God the Father speaking as recorded in the New Testament. We, we looked at the Mount of Transfiguration. We referred to the baptism. And this is another time where God the Father actually speaks with a voice from heaven. And what he says here, and interesting, all three events are related and they all have to do with glory or the Spirit. But here he talks about that he has already glorified his Son's name. Now what event would that be? The baptism, but especially the Mount of Transfiguration, where Christ received glory from the excellent glory from God the Father. So yes, uh, the baptism and the Mount of Transfiguration. And another event that we just read, uh, where Jesus told Martha she would see the glory of God, was the resurrection of Lazarus. So all these events, the Father was glorifying the name of His Son. But then He promises, He says, and I will glorify it again. When? Future tense, right? There is still something that would happen in the future that would be glory or glorification for Christ. And we're going to explore that as well as we go along. But it's something that happened a number of times in the experience of Christ. Not every time was it associated with a visible physical light or shining brightly as far as glory is concerned. That's the point uh, we see here. But uh, this link between the glory of God and the Spirit is important to understand because it helps us appreciate what it means to be glorified, what it means to receive glory, what it means to see glory or the glory of God. It's not always this shining light that, that we think of. Let's look at that as well. In John 7, we see that link very, very clearly. We already looked at it uh, before with Lazarus and, uh, and the mantra transfiguration and the baptism. John 7, Jesus speaking in verse 38, he says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. You see the link there again? The reception of the Spirit has to do with the glorification of Christ. When one happens, the other straight away happens because the two are linked. Very, the two are very closely associated. So that means when Jesus received the Spirit at His baptism, what did He receive at that time as well? Glory. Just like on the Mount of Transfiguration, even though the word glory is not mentioned in the story of, that, of baptism. Interestingly enough, if you read that uh, in, uh, for example, if you read an account of that story uh, in the book Desire of Ages, you will find that at the baptism of Christ, he was lit up with a light from heaven. He was shining. Very similar to the Mount of 
transfiguration. So when he received the Spirit, he received glory, an association or a link between the reception of the Spirit and glory. In order for that Spirit to be sent, Christ had to be glorified first. So I think we're seeing the link very clearly, and the story of Lazarus illustrates that. Lazarus received li uh, life, which is Spirit, and Jesus told Martha that she is seeing the glory of God, or she would see the glory of God when that would occur or when that would happen. So, when Christ is glorified again, as the Father promised, He says, I've glorified your name and I will glorify it again. When Christ is glorified again, this promise will be fulfilled. Now, I think we know when Christ was glorified again, when this promise was fulfilled. We're going to look at that as well. But this is the very thing that Jesus was actually praying for just before He concluded His mission on earth. In John chapter 17, He's referring to the same thing. And again, He makes the same connection. John 17, 5. Praying, here is what Jesus says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. What's Jesus asking for? Glory. Now, this is not a selfish request, as in, you know, now I've done it, I want to be reinstated back to what I had before. Sometimes we think this is what Jesus is, is saying. That's not what he's talking about. He is asking, actually, on our behalf. Because the glory that he receives and what is associated with that, he is going to share with the believers. And this is what we will see as well. He continues praying, and this is where it gets very interesting. Notice verse 10. In the same prayer, Jesus says, And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I am glorified, where? In them. Jesus says, Father, glorify me. And then he says, that glory that I'll be glorified with, I'm going to be glorified where? In them, not just in heaven. We tend to think of Christ as being glorified in heaven, and we kind of pinpoint when that event is, and we have a, a, you know, a timeline. We're going to look at that in a minute. But don't miss the point here. Jesus also says that he, when he is glorified by the Father, he's glorified where? In the believer. Interesting. Now it starts to make a little bit more sense, hopefully, what Paul was talking about in Romans, where we started. Jesus says he is glorified in the believer. So those who are called, those who are justified, are also glorified, according to Paul. Makes a bit more sense now, hopefully, right? We're going to ask the same question we started with at the end, and we're going to see if the response changes based on our understanding. That'll be a good... Uh, before and after examination. But hopefully it's making a little bit more sense now. So, the believer is glorified when Jesus is glorified in them. That makes sense, right? The time of glory for the believer is when Jesus is glorified in the believer. When does that happen? When the person receives Christ. Now notice what Jesus says in the same prayer, he goes on. We're going to connect all these dots together, but hopefully you're seeing the picture already. John 17, 22. Jesus, what does he do with that glory? He says, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. That's why we're saying when Jesus is asking to be glorified, when he's asking for glory, he's not just asking as a selfish thing for him. He's asking on our behalf. He's asking for that so that he can share it. And he's saying this here in anticipation of the answer to the prayer that he's asking the Father. 
He's asking for glory. He says, I am glorified in them. The glory you will give me, I will give them. He actually says it in the past tense. That's how assured it is. That's how uh, confident Jesus is. So then the natural question that follows, when did Jesus give the disciples the glory that he received from the Father? Well, all you have to do is find out. Remember, we looked at the verse in John. When was he glorified? Because for him to give the glory, he has to have received it first. And in John it says the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So in order to know or to find out when was Jesus glorified, all you have to look for is when was the Holy Spirit given? Because that will straight away indicate to you, oh, Jesus must have been glorified. So when was the Holy Spirit given? On the day of Pentecost. As far as for the believers, for, for the general believers. Now the baptism Christ received the Spirit personally. When there was the reception of the Spirit for everyone else? On the day of Pentecost. So on the day of Pentecost, what happened on earth was the disciples received the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. I don't need to go to that story. I think we're familiar with that. But what was happening in heaven at the same time, or what had happened in heaven at the same time, was that Jesus was glorified in heaven. He straight away sent the Spirit on earth. We actually did a whole study on that here a number of years ago called the glorification of Christ. Uh, there's a number of comments. Let's, let's see what, what those uh, will deal with them. Go ahead. So question, wasn't, didn't Jesus um, initially give some of the Holy Spirit to the apostles when he resurrected and appeared to them in the room? And I think it's in John 20, 21, <coughs> or in 22, he said, and he breathed on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Sure, he, he most definitely did. He actually did with the 70. When he sent the 70 to, to heal and to preach and, and to raise the dead and to cast out devils, they did that with the, with the name of Jesus. And of course, the power is the power of the Spirit. Uh, most definitely. But the full outpouring of the Spirit that Jesus referred to in John 7, where he says, He that believes on me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That had not happened before in that measure because Jesus was not yet glorified. So yes, there was a spirit working there, but there was something more that was coming or that was to come following the glorification of Jesus. And this is what we're referring to here. This greater outpouring, the full measure. Because then Jesus was glorified as a man. That had never happened before in the history of, of mankind. And so Christ received glory. He was glorified by the Father in heaven. And straight away he poured his spirit on his disciples. And he was also glorified where? In, in them. Remember the verse we just read earlier? Let me go back. Here it is. All mine are thine and thine are mine. And I am glorified where? In them. So when Jesus was glorified in heaven, he sent the Spirit, and this is why we talk about the Spirit, the identity of the Spirit is who? Who is the Spirit? It's no one else other than Christ himself. So when the disciples received the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they received the glorified Christ, and now he was glorified where? In them. You see the, the, the picture? Not just in heaven. Far away, not someone got glorified in heaven and then he sent someone else to do something else on earth. This, this teaching, which is based on the Trinity, destroys this whole idea completely. Because it adds someone else in the picture and destroys this connection between Christ and his disciples. And that connection and the believer, that's us as well, if we believe. And that connection is what unites us with him and what therefore unites us with God as he is united with God. That's what John 17 is all about. Glory. The Apostle Paul 
knew and understood that. That's why he wrote that verse in Romans 8 that we started off with, that we're exploring together. Now notice how this link is, is established quite in, in a number of places in the Bible, and we somehow kind of miss that link. Here is 1 Peter 4 and verse 14. Peter says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Hmm, interesting connection. Peter calls the spirit, the spirit of glory and the spirit of God. You see the link there again between spirit and glory. So when Christ was glorified, he received the promise of the spirit. He straight away shed forth this, which was seen and heard on the day of Pentecost. The disciples received the spirit. They received the glorified risen Christ. And he was glorified in them. They also received glory. Biblical so far? Okay, we're not making anything up, right? It's right there in the scriptures. Uh, that's the glory back then. Uh, notice what else is linked with this when it comes to the resurrection. Another confirmation, Romans 6 and verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see the link here again? Jesus was raised how? By the glory of God the Father. What did he receive when he was raised from the dead? Life. The spirit of life. Here it's referred to as the glory of God. Again, we see the link. Glory and spirit or life are associated. When you receive the spirit of life, you are receiving glory. And Paul actually says here, that's how we are buried. And just like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so also who? We. In other words, we are also raised by the glory of the Father, and therefore we are to walk in newness of what? Of life. Well, that's what we receive when we are raised from death and sin. And when I'm talking about death here, I'm not talking about physical death when you bury someone in the ground. I'm talking about the spiritual death, which is our natural lot and inheritance as children of Adam. Isn't that right? We come into this world needing life. Because what we have is death. Isn't that right? So how are we raised to this newness of life? By the glory of the Father, just as Christ was raised from the dead. And what do we receive when we receive that newness of life? We receive the Spirit, we receive glory. We receive the risen, glorified Christ Himself. And now He is glorified in the believer. Beautiful picture, right? That's glory. That's why we're linking glory with the spirit of life. And this was, of course, prophesied in a number of places. Here it is, 1 Peter 1.11, he refers to that. He says, Searching what, or what manner of time, the spirit of Christ which was in them, that's the prophets of old, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory, or glories, that's actually what it means there, and the glories that should follow. So the sufferings of Christ, the experience of Christ, on earth as a man and his death and his resurrection would result in glory that would follow. What's Peter talking about here? What, what are these prophets prophesying about? What was seen on the day of Pentecost? Where the disciples received the Spirit, they received glory. Jesus was glorified in them. 
This is what Paul was talking about, and this is Paul, what Paul was referring to as well. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that verse is in the Bible. I never saw this verse in this way before. So when we're called to receive, you know, the gospel, we obtain what? The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. When? When we receive the gospel or some other time in the future. Generally, we think of glory as something that will be received in the future. We don't have any glory now. We don't see each other shining in the dark. If we turn the lights off and close all the doors and windows here, nobody's going to be shining. So we conclude nobody's glorified yet, right? That's not what the scripture talks about. There is a component and an aspect to glory that is not just this visible, physical token of light and shining. There is that. There is no question about it. But that's not all there is to it. That's why I'm asking. That's why I'm saying we don't know what we have until we experience it. But in order to experience it, we must first understand what we have first. It's like you have a treasure in your box and you don't know there's a treasure there. You don't even know that there is a box. We have glory as far as the scripture is concerned and what is revealed. Now, of course, in light of that, you straight away can realize that there are uh, different levels or different measures of glory, different stages of glory. And the Bible talks about that as well. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with open face beholding, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Or as it says there, in the margin, as by the Lord, the Spirit. How that is accomplished is Christ. Christ at the beginning, Christ all along the way, Christ at the end. And this development, this growth from one stage to another is from glory to glory. So there is going to be glory in the future that is still to come. But that doesn't mean there is no glory now. We change from glory to glory. It doesn't mean we change from something bad to something good. But this is a progression. Glory to glory is a growth, a development, and a progression. The first stage is the reception of Christ. When we receive Him, we have glory. Because as He said in His prayer, He is glorified in us, in them. He said, I am glorified in them. We have the spirit of life. We receive something that we did not possess before. That spirit by which we are born again, whereby we receive eternal life, is also a reception of glory. The glory of God the Father that raised Jesus from the dead is what raises us to newness of life. And of course, the future stages of glory are referred to in the scriptures. And this is what we're familiar with. Sorry, excuse me. And this is what we usually think of and refer to when we talk about glory. Here are some examples of the final or latter stages of glory uh, in Isaiah. We read about it, Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. We're all familiar with that prophecy, right? There it talks very clearly about glory that has to do with light and visible and seen. And that's what we think of when we talk about glory. And we, we're like, well, that that's, hasn't happened yet. It's coming soon, but not quite yet. So that's why we ask the question, are you glorified? We might be thinking, well, 
not quite yet, but soon, maybe, God willing, you know, it's going to happen. Maybe we're thinking of some of these prophecies. This, of course, is repeated again in the book of Revelation, a parallel verse to that, Revelation 18.1, we know this. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. We know those verses, right? Here is glory that will be seen, visible, but not only visible and physical glory. See, this glory that will lighten the earth is really the power of the gospel message. Doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be people walking around shining as, as bright lights, but their life will be a shining light and a witness in a powerful manner to captivate the attention of the world. They are recognizing what they have in Christ. They are experiencing it and the evidence is manifest. Kind of like the disciples when they went on that mission. This is why I'm saying, I really think to a large degree, we don't realize what we have. Glory that would come. Romans 8 talks about glory that will be coming as well as we look at these stages of from glory to glory. Romans 8, 18, he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Here is a future glory that Paul was looking forward to, right? Doesn't mean that there was no glory then because it's in, in the same chapter he talks about those who are predestined, called, justified, and already glorified. But he also recognizes that there is glory to come. From glory to, to glory. We can't miss that there is glory now and just focus on the glory that would come. So, if you are going through a rough or a trying experience, this is a good verse to think about as well and to remember this promise. If you're having a really serious trial, like maybe the, the flood uh, yesterday ruining all your gear. Some people here had all their gear get wet because of all the rain yesterday. Well, that's, I know, a, a, fair, a, a trial, but that's a minor trial to what might uh, be happening in other people's lives. You know, stuff dries up. But we might be going through a, a flooding experience as far as, you know, circumstances uh, going really bad for you and you don't know which way to turn and you wonder what's going on and, and God, where are you? Here, here's a verse, remember, this verse. Paul says, the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. As a matter of fact, we already have a measure of that glory now. Remember that. So I, I want to keep this practical too, not just talk about theoretical nice stuff. This is, this is what the whole point of the gospel is. These things are real, brothers and sisters, and it would do well for us to remember them. The devil's job is to make us forget these things. That's why we're talking about them. And of course, to sum it up, this beautiful verse sums it up really well in... Uh, Oh, well, Peter, actually, before we go to our last verse, First uh, Peter chapter 5, he says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So here Peter says, the glory which will, which will be revealed, we already can partake of now. Isn't that right? That's what he's saying. It's not just some future far off thing. He can, we can begin partaking of it now, which is why we're saying what we're saying. We need to recognize and understand what we have in Christ. And the verse that sums it up, this is the one I was referring to, Colossians 3 and verse 4. He says, 
When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Amen. That says it all. Maybe we could have started with this verse and had a very short sermon because that summarizes everything in one verse. Let's, let's look at a few aspects in this verse. When Christ, who is our life, What's another word for life? Spirit, right? So that spirit that we receive, the life that we receive, this newness of life that we receive is a person. Who is it? It's Christ. When he shall appear, what's he talking about here? In his second coming. But first of all, in us, we receive life now. In the context, Paul is, is dealing with the second coming. But Christ doesn't just, you know, come as second coming. It's the first time we meet him. And someone else has been helping us to get to that point. That's what a lot of people believe. No, we receive Christ when we are born again. And then he says, Then shall you also appear with him in glory. That's the final stage of glory. Because then we're also transformed from glory to Glory. At that point, there will be the physical, visible, shining light glory that most of us think of. Because Christ will come, He will be, you know, in the clouds with the angels and there will be a lot of glory. And those who are His will also receive glory. Paul is referring to that, but we are partakers. This is the point. We are partakers of that glory already now. Because when you receive Christ, you are receiving the risen, glorified Christ. His life, His spirit is with his, or comes to us with His glory. And this is what Paul was referring to when he says, you are called, you are justified, and also glorified. So, maybe I can ask the question again, and now you have a little bit more understanding to answer the question. How many are glorified? Oh, look, there are a few more hands than when we started off. That means we have some understanding. Praise the Lord. Does it make sense? Look, I know we're hesitant to say yes to something like that because we don't feel like it, perhaps. And we definitely don't look like it. We're not shining in the dark. So we say, well, maybe not. But hopefully we understand now. Yes. 127, of course, where it talks about Christ in you, the hope of? Of glory. Thank you. Very appropriate verse. Many verses that we could add to that, but that's exactly right. The hope of glory that will be, you know, uh, at the end that we will receive. But... He is also glorified already in us, if we have Christ in us. Yes? I have a question. So what are we doing now? Because when the disciples were, when they had the power, they had the power to heal those manifestations, they had obvious, visible. So what are we doing now? Don't we just do, is it that we don't believe? Okay, what are we doing wrong? Good question. Uh, this is what we're exploring today. Uh, many times, it's not that we're doing something wrong. It's simply we don't realize what we have. Now that we realize what we have, it's hopefully easier to exercise more intelligent faith to experience it. The experience is the personal component. We can't, you know, experience it for each other. But this is the thing, and I want to close with that. Maybe that will answer your question, because think about it this way. The disciples and the 70 who were sent out, they gained an experience based on the words of Christ. As a matter of fact, sending them out to preach, I believe, had another purpose. The primary purpose, we believe, is so that they could go prepare the way before Christ and, you know, alert people and spread the gospel message. But I really think Christ sent them out to preach so they could actually gain that experience, which they were not gaining when they were following Him. You with me? Yeah. Sending them out 
to meet with a certain circumstances where they would meet with demons or dead people or preach or opposition and all that would allow them to gain an experience in the power of the name of Jesus that they were not gaining while they were with Jesus, even though they had his name. And many times maybe we need to pray and ask the Lord for something like that to be sent out so that we can gain an experience in the understanding of the truths that we have. They need to be translated in our experience. You see the point? And the interesting thing is this, brothers and sisters, the disciples were not rejoicing and jumping up and down and excited when they were with Jesus, were they? It had, something had to happen. They went out, they gained an experience. They learned now by their personal experience, the power in the name of Jesus. They came back, whoa, they were excited. They were having to say, Lord, even the devils are subject to us to your name. And they weren't excited like that when they were with him. What made the difference? They realized and understood what they had by experience. No wonder Jesus sent them out. You with me? See the picture? That's what we need. That's what's missing. So, but first of all, we need to understand what we have. Next step is experience it. And so this is what I want to challenge you to pray about. This is what I want to challenge you to seek the Lord for. Say, Lord, okay, now we understand based on the word, not somebody selling us some fancy idea. That's what the word says. Now we want the personal experience of it. Because this is what the apostle was asking about. Jesus wanted to give them something more. Jesus wants to give us something more. I am convinced of that. Don't, don't you think so? You know, the fact that we even ask questions like that indicates that. Christ wants to give us something more. Let us have that more. Let us ask for the more. Let us seek for it earnestly with understanding. Yes. So like what are we doing wrong is, I don't think it's the right question because every one of us has different talents or you know, gifts. gifts, yeah. Mm -hmm. So not everybody is there to like, okay, you are going to be a healer. Nice. Mm -hmm. True. Okay. Thank you. That's a good point. We're not necessarily talking about the, the works that were manifested as far as the miracle working and so on and so forth, but the personal experience of receiving the glorified Christ, understanding that, and that being manifested in our experience with others, that people indeed see this transformation, power in witnessing, power in our experience with victory over sin. All these elements are involved or are part of receiving this risen, glorified Christ. So I think you get the point. And I ask the question again, are you glorified now? Now you understand with, with, with comprehension. Uh, this, is, this is the key, brothers and sisters. Unless uh, the truths that we profess are a reality in our experience, they are really of no benefit to us. Having a, a mental understanding of truth is good and well, but it will have no practical purpose or good unless we actually have an experience. So like the disciples, we might be following Jesus. We go where Jesus is preached. We are happy in the name of Jesus. And we have all this understanding of all these truths, but yet we don't have that experience. Let us seek for that. Some, it's something to be excited about. And there's even more in store, just like Jesus told the disciples, you're excited about the demons being subject to you, you know? Rejoice rather that your name is written in heaven. That's the key. So that's the challenge. Theory or experience? Fair enough? Make sense? Okay, that's my challenge to you. Let's close with a word of prayer. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.